Hi, this is Bethany, your host of the Random Yogi Podcast, a weekly podcast about holistic living and physical, emotional, and spiritual healing, and of course, plenty of yoga and Ayurveda. We offer bonus episodes each month featuring yoga flows that you can do at home, as well as guided meditations. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I wanted to put a trigger warning on this episode. While I think it's very valuable, we are discussing sex because this is an interview with a sexologist. The language is clinical and clean, but it may not be something you want to listen to if your children are in the car with you. Also, there are a couple of mentions of non-consensual sex, um, very brief, but if you have a history of sexual trauma, this may be one you want to skip or be very mindful to stop um, if you feel triggered at all during it. Thank you so much for listening. Bridget, I'm so glad to have you on today. So introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little about your journey. So I left that course feeling kind of pretty pleased with myself, really, like I was somehow spiritually arrived and um, not knowing how disconnected I was from my body. Um, So, you know, embodiment was not a concept. I hadn't heard the word. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant to be in the body. I think I'd really spent my entire life out of my body and disconnected from my body. And yeah, shortly after that, I think, you know, the universe sends the signs and we start seeing the signs when we're ready. And I started seeing these signs for an evening. I was living in Sydney at the time and it's called Tantric Nights and it just sounded like so scary and I was like oh those people must all be swingers and (laughs) I can't possibly go but it was kind of like you know this gradual opening to the idea of kind of exploring something around sexuality and tantra so there was very much a kind of pull push pull you know I was kind of like fearful of it and drawn to it and I found myself a few months later signing up for this um, eight-week sacred sexuality course. It was all women, and I really had no idea what to expect, otherwise there's no way I'd have gone (laughs) if I'd known what was going to (laughs) happen. What happened? (laughs) It was very kind of ritual-based. It was really a rite of passage to sexual awakening, and I was the least kind of embodied I guess sexually awakened woman on this course and so it was very kind of I was very much a fish out of water in that you know I remember the first weekend there was women kind of like moaning and sounding orgasmic and I remember saying at the end of the weekend to to one woman it's like why are all these women faking orgasm (laughs) (laughs) and you know not understanding that concept of like energetic orgasm and like waves of energy through the body and So, yeah, I kind of became accustomed to being the one that wasn't really getting it. And and several weeks into that course, we were doing a session with another teacher who was being Skyped in and he was working with a woman at the front of the room. And I'd zoned out, to be honest, there was, you know, some women that were really into it, you know, energetically and I'd zoned out. And he just said, you know, for those of you in the room who have zoned out and are not paying attention, start breathing with this woman. And I was like, oh, I've totally zoned out. Okay, I'll start breathing with her. And I was being a good student, but not actually expecting anything to happen. But within about 20 seconds of like breathing with her, that awakened my body to basically being able to experience, I think, what is our birthright, which is um you know to have energy and bliss moving through our body as a kind of natural 
life experience and that can be described as orgasmic it's not always experienced as orgasmic pleasure in the sexual sense but it can be it might be experienced as joy it might just be experienced as energy but essentially to me that was like becoming fully alive and prior to that experience I had always felt like I was observing life on the other side of a window and there was nothing really wrong, but I didn't feel like I was fully participating or feeling or exper experiencing deep joy or deep pleasure. And yeah, this, and it was because I wasn't in my body. So this was the experience, this, this sacred sexuality workshop that kind of brought me into my body and kind of at the same time I had this, you know, absolute crystal clear knowing this is my purpose something to do with this work is my purpose well and before we go forward in your story I want to go backwards just a little bit um, because I too am a lawyer who during the stillness of the pandemic did my yoga teacher training and opened a yoga studio and so began exploring true embodiment and parasympathetic nervous system and all that so I would love to know number one why did you choose to be a barrister to begin with um, I think I had always had an interest in being an actor and, you know, I, I, I think naturally I was a creative person. You know, I wanted to be a writer or an actor and was very interested in the creative arts, but it just was not really supported by my family. And it's not like they said, oh, don't do it. But it was very much the, well, you know, you can't earn any money in that. There wasn't that kind of support to just go for it. And so I kind of, it was kind of a compromise, really. I had never really been interested in law, but it was like, well, it's going to challenge me intellectually. It's not going to be boring. It involves writing, it involves, you know, performance in a courtroom. And I can do all of those things. And I could do all of those things really well. But there was just, fundamentally, I wasn't that interested in law. I was interested in people and people's relationships and lives. And so I very much see that as a foundation to what I do now, because I ended up specializing in family law. And, you know, at, at the heart, I want to see people thriving. And I think particularly seeing women thriving and in their power. And I guess I was at, in, as a lawyer, I was working at the very other end of that spectrum you know, with women who were very disempowered, often in domestic abuse situations um, or exploited in, in various ways. So, yeah, I guess I've just come to the other end of the spectrum. It's like, what is our, you know, how do we become fully expressed? How do we become fully empowered? And how do we do that in a system that's still very much kind of a patriarchal system, albeit dying, but, you know, it's... Right. Yeah. The other thing you said while you were talking about the first start of your journey was um, energetic orgasm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, my experience of orgasming was very kind of um, physically based. It was very clitorally based. I think I'd, you know, I'd had one orgasm that was not clitorally linked, if you like, Um I didn't consider myself to be sexually suppressed. Everything worked, but I didn't have any concept of experiences beyond that, really. And so energetic orgasm is, is a whole body experience or can be experienced in different parts of the body. So you can have breast orgasms or throat orgasms anywhere in the body, really. But it is um, 
it doesn't need to involve any touch, physical touch. It is an energy moving through the body. And yeah, so it is an experience of not always an experience of pleasure. It can just feel like energy through the body, but it can be, you know, a highly pleasurable experience. And it's not um, an, a finite experience either. It's it's a wave. So it, it's literally waves through the body, which can go on for a long time because there might be a peak orgasm within that experience. But the peak orgasm experience will, once it's done, it's done very quickly and this experience is a kind of rolling wave so it's like very much you can see it as the ocean there might be peaks within that but then there might be lulls but it's yeah that's kind of how I would describe it. Well I had read a while back in an article about energetic orgasms and that you can really bring them on just through breath work and even just moving your hips if you will take the time to be truly present in that moment and really focus on your body is that was that article correct yeah absolutely it can be breath is incredibly powerful so you know it can be activated through breath work through visualization through as you said moving the body things that bring you in the body essentially so you know dance can really help with that um yeah hip movements can really help with that it can be breathing, you know, specifically breathing into the breast area and activating that area. It could be specifically breathing into the womb area, activating that area. But yeah, it doesn't need to involve physical touch. And it can involve physical touch that's non-sexual. And again, that could activate it. It can even be um, being activated by nature, you know, kind of really dropping into connection with nature can also, you know, bring this on. So yeah, it's to me, it's very much an, a, a raw, authentic experience of, of our humanness and our capacity for connection and pleasure. Well, and I definitely want to go forward with your story. But one more thing I wanted to ask you about what you've said so far is, um, you know, the patriarchy is beginning, that system is beginning to die a bit. And I, you know, it's funny because I didn't really realize, even though I've been a lawyer almost 20 years and it's male predominant and I have experienced gender discrimination within it, I really didn't get until very recently just how patriarchal our society is. And so what do you think is um, beginning this whole, because I can see that it's beginning to die. What's beginning to shift so that this patriarchic, um, society that we live in is beginning to shift and the patriarchy is beginning to maybe die yeah I mean I think gosh there's so many ways to talk about that but I think for so long that system has gone unchallenged and you know if you think back over the last kind of 50 60 70 years you know often the 60s certainly when I was younger was quoted as being this kind of sexual awakening this feminine revolution and you know, probably in the 80s, that would have been seen as as some kind of marker of change. In some ways it was, but it was, I think there's, there has to be some beginning. Um, but in, in reality, in terms of what it did for women's sexuality, so it was the birthing of the pill, controversial in terms of how much that helped women's sexuality, because it certainly was, is a strong suppress, suppressor of libido for many women. Um, but also the sex that women were having 
a lot of the time was about, you know, pleasing men. And it was like, you know, looking right. It was performative sex. And, and I'm sure there are exceptions to that. I'm, I'm sure there are some glorious examples of women having, you know, amazing sexual awakenings during that time. But for a lot of women, because that was all that was known, sex was about being chosen, being approved of, looking the right way, doing the right thing. And if you think about it, not that much has changed from when you look at mainstream media, mainstream society, mainstream messages. Um, I mean, I work in a university at the moment with young women. Um, part of my role is around sexual violence. And there's just this deep disconnect between knowing what they want and what they're actually doing. And I think that has actually been a regression. I think there was a kind of improvement post 60s into the 70s, you know, the birth, birthing of that kind of feminist wave. And I think, you know, I was so shocked actually starting to work in universities, which was five years ago. I really expected this, this generation of women to be sorted. I honestly did, because it was like, well, that's the natural progression of things, isn't it? Each generation is evolves beyond the last one is the kind of natural order of things and I found that it had regressed and I think there's many reasons for that but certainly one of them is you know access to porn you know very easy access to porn which was not true when I was growing up um what's um what's shown in mainstream porn which I know there's you know there is ethical porn and feminist porn out there but most porn is basically showing sex that is pleasurable for men uh, often showing violence against women it's performative sex and so that is a lot of young people's sex education about how you do sex and they're playing it out well you know there's no conversation in porn about you know what 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 is it that you like what do you want showing things that are pleasurable for women in sex and and I think also just depictions of women in in media and social media it's very much about women's appearance. You know, there's this obviously um, explosion of plastic surgery about looking a certain way, a certain image that's seen as desirable. And that's now including, you know, surgery on, on the labia and the genitals of a woman to, to, to look a different way, which is disturbing on so many levels, not least that, you know, genitals are meant to all look completely different. They're, you know, it's like faces, they don't look the same. So. <laughs> It's um, and also because any any surgery on genitals is reducing sensation and creating scar tissue. And as soon as you've got scar tissue, you've got a block blockage in the flow of energy. So you've got reduced access to pleasure and very possible, possibly pain in that area. So. So that was a, like a little bit of a rabbit hole that I went down there. But what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was perfect. Actually, it was interesting that you brought up. Um, women since, because I only recently found out that women are doing plastic surgeries on their genitals. And I suppose I'm lucky because, you know, as a woman growing up, you're always wondering, do I look like other women? And my high school best friend ended up being a labor and delivery nurse. And so about 10 years ago, I said to her, okay, I'm a little insecure because this is what I look like. And this is, I don't know, am I supposed to look like this? I didn't show her anything, but because she was labor and delivery, she had seen a ton of women's um, private parts. 
And she very kindly, without laughing, I think she wanted to laugh, but she said, Bethany, we all look different. It's like a fingerprint and there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me looking different from you. And so I was very, very blessed to have that experience. But there's so many of us out there that don't have a best friend in labor and delivery that we can say, do I look okay? Exactly. exactly. And, you know, I'd be, well, I was, um, I trained as a sexologist. So I was doing body work with men and women, you know, intimate body work and, you know, got to see a lot of vulvas and there's, you know, a lot of variation just as there are in penises, you know, no, no one looks, looks the same. So, but yeah, this, this deep insecurity and, and men obviously have it as well with, you know, my penis isn't big enough and having, you know, penis extensions and things like this, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's a deeply disempowering route really to go down um, because, you know, for the sake of appearance, actually what you're doing is, is losing sens sensation. And, and the same is true of, of breast implants, actually. And I completely understand why people have breast implants if they've had to have a mastectomy, for example. Um, but essentially when you have breast implants you're losing an enormous amount of sensation and basically the nipples are, are, are like an extra two clitorises really <laughs> you know they, they're just highly orgasmic parts of the body and as soon as you start kind of creating scar tissue and having surgeries in that area you're re massively reducing your orgasmic potential so yeah I, I get that there's a lot of pressure in society around appearance but it's it's something to definitely consider for anybody that might be listening is that yeah it will reduce your capacity for pleasure well you know part of me I, I wonder about the ethics of it because I know when I was a younger woman and I found out that there are places in the world where they do female circumcisions and things like that um we were all horrified at just how unethical that would be um, and now, not that we're doing the same thing, we're not cutting out clit uh, clitorises, but still is, and this may not be an appropriate question, but I'm going to pose it since you're the expert as far as I'm concerned. Do you really think it's ethical for these doctors to be doing these surgeries when women look just fine and there's nothing wrong at all down there, but they're doing it because of insecurities? I don't think so because, I mean, you can now actually buy books. I mean, there was... Um... There's a great wall of vagina somewhere in the UK, which is plaster casts of, of women's vul vulvas. And so just for listeners that, you know, often those two terms are, are mixed up, but vulva is the external genitals, the parts that you can see, and the vagina is the part inside. And, um, but yeah, there's you can buy books of photos of, of women's genitalia. So there's, and you can see that online as well. So if you have any insecurity about how you, look you can go and seek those things out and just see you know, literally the variation is enormous just as it is for penises so I think that's really helpful for any woman feeling insecure she may well have been made to feel insecure by a by a sexual partner because you know what men are seeing is um is is women in porn and women in porn have often had that surgery or they're photoshopped or you know it's like there's just like penises in porn, you know, kind of look massive, women's genitalia are, are hairless and, and uniform in appearance. And it's like in reality, outside of porn, that's not true. 
So after you went to that workshop, where, where did your journey go after that? So I, I deep dived really. And um, it also gave me this enormous, before I go into what I did, it gave me this enormous, it was a spiritual awakening as well in that I, it awakened my intuition to another level. And I started to trust my intuition about my path. Um, and it was, my decisions were not mind-based. I was very much like listening to my intuition and following that guidance. So, uh, and then what I would say is a lot of sexuality-based work is not that safe. And certainly the majority of what I did was not that safe. Um, so I'm not going to mention the names of organizations that were unsafe, um, but I did do, yeah, I did a journey of about a year um, with a teacher linked to my original teacher, and um, he was not a safe person to work with, and I feel lucky to have kind of come out unscathed, really. I certainly saw other people not be so lucky, um, but it was a, a deep, journey of sexual awakening it was yeah very exciting to basically I mean have my whole experience of life literally change in such a short period of time so within it was basically a year after that first course I went to um to live in Peru and that had been the kind of intuitive knowing and I didn't know what it was about, actually. I just, the first realization was I'm leaving Sydney and I'm leaving for a good chunk of time. And then my mind was like, well, you could go to the, you could go to South America because it's kind of, you know, Australia is so far from anywhere. I was like, yeah, I'll go to South America as well because it's kind of in the same area. And then, you know, within about a week, I was like, oh, I think I'm just going to Peru. I don't think I'm going to the US, I'm going to Peru. And I was like, I don't know why I'm going to Peru, but it's this really strong knowing that I'm going to Peru. And I was literally Googling, you know, things that I was interested in really that might be in Peru. And then I just hit on this retreat center and I was like, oh, that's where I'm going. And it happened to be an ayahuasca retreat. And so I ended up volunteering at this ayahuasca retreat for- What is seven. ayahuasca? So ayahuasca is a plant medicine. It's a very strong plant medicine. Very, oh, that's my dog. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's a plant medicine that's very connected to the divine feminine, and I think I was attracted to this retreat center because the shamans working within that center were all, were predominantly women, and it was the Shipibo tribe, and the Shipibo tribe work mostly women, and the men are the space holders, so they work as a collective, whereas a lot of um you know shamans that work with ayahuasca it's a man it's a single man you know it's that kind of classic power structure really of the guru uh and then within that there is you know there's been lots of allegations of sexual abuse against those kind of gurus as there have been in every other kind of spiritual tradition including yoga so this one it was like very obviously about the divine feminine it was you know women were front and center and yeah so that's what I went to do. And it was, again, like a deep dive. Um, it was it was actually very little to do with sexuality for me. It was about family healing and it was really about birthing me. I think it was about this rebirth. Um, so that was that was a whole journey. I ended up living in Peru for over a year. And 
yeah when I returned I was and I, I ran my first sexuality workshops in Peru um so that was you know the kind of beginning of doing public offerings which was in 2010 and let me uh, pause because number I want to ask two questions number one um can you talk about the divine feminine yeah so I think the divine feminine um is an energy that we could to me it's like the intuitive and men and you know men and women and all genders have all energies within them so and I get that these terms are gendered and there's something problematic around that, but it's also some haven't found really a, an adequate alternative. But you, it could be, you could say yin and yang, for example, if you've got any connection to the Chinese tradition. So the yin, the divine feminine is, um, contains tremendous strength and fire, but it's also got an enormous amount of flow in it, creative energy, um, to me, the divine feminine is very much expressed through nature and it's very much, I think it's one way to be very connected to the divine feminine is to be very connected to nature, to be very much in the body. So to me, being in the body is an expression of the divine feminine and the intellect and the mind is more an expression of the divine masculine. So I think our society has suffered from the suppression and the undervaluing of the divine feminine. Everybody in society has suffered from that. So, and this is huge generalizations, but men suffer because there's whole aspect of their personality that in, in Western society, it's not really been acceptable to express. So their vulnerability, their emotional side, their creative side, um, or have not always been welcomed. I think that's true even today, even though it seems so outdated. I think there's still a, a lot of men that struggle to show vulnerability or emotional vulnerability um, or to kind of really let go into their creativity and intuition. And I think for women, you know, to become powerful in the world, our examples of power have been masculine-based power structures. And so we have had to draw on that inner masculine energy to be powerful in the world really because there's been very few examples of powerful um, women working with feminine energy so I think we all need it and I think it's been undervalued ignored denigrated in various ways um, so yeah that's a kind of loose <laughs> definition if you like well, and yeah. I know that I've noticed the um, there's a lot more talk in the last year or two about the divine feminine, or at least that's when I started becoming aware. And as a lawyer, of course, I'm very often in my masculine energy. I'm a very good trial attorney. I'm an alpha female. And at first, when I started really looking at, oh, I don't really operate in my feminine energy, I was afraid of a loss of power. And I don't know if that was our societal loss of power when you're really um, just because of the patriarchy society that we have or what, but I'm beginning slowly to learn that there's such strength. Now I still have to be alpha in a courtroom. Yes. But outside that courtroom, there's such strength and simply going with my intuition, going with the flow of life, taking care of myself. I may have to go, you know, full force in my legal career, but in my private life, being able to really slow it way down there's actually power in that. Would you agree? 
yeah it's it's not weak as it's hugely powerful i mean to me it's like literally it's the it's the power of creation it's the power of birth it's it's everything that we see is birthed from the divine feminine and you know i'd invite you in particularly in um trial speeches to access that energy because it will land so much more powerfully when you allow that feminine energy to flow and it doesn't mean you have to like park your masculine but it's coming from a deeper place and people mm. feel that it's like it's very moving when people are, are speaking and expressing from that place wow that's excellent advice um and then the second thing was you said you did your first workshop on sexuality tell us about that yeah so I guess you know again I think the universe nudges us so my very first one was when I was still on the ayahuasca retreat and it was like an unpaid like mini workshop for other volunteers and I remember I'd agreed to do it after lunch and two o'clock start and I'd like prepared what we were going to do and they were like 10 minutes late and by five past I was like it's not happening thank god <laughs> i can pack up and leave because there's this deep terror i think about showing up for our work in the world and so yeah i did this workshop for about an hour and a half and you know at the end of it one of the women's she was like wow that's all that's awakened something in me that is like super deep and you know she's now a very powerful um healer and you know she's she's she was a young woman then but it awakened something in her so yeah the other part of that is remembering that you know I'm a vessel for this work and obviously there's unseen help you know supporting me in that work it's not all coming from me and yeah so the, the first kind of real paid one was in Cusco in Peru and I just literally made these handmade posters photocopied them posted them around town <laughs> And a yoga teacher saw one and she was like, um, oh, I really want to come to this and I want to bring my students. And she ended up kind of like acting as my assistant and bring loads of her students and translating for one of the students that couldn't speak any English. And yeah, it was it was like a really powerful workshop. But there was there was me, there was part of me copying, you know, it's like, oh, what have I seen teachers do? Or this is what I need to do and I need to look in this way and but really what it was about was turning up, holding space and allowing what needed to unfold to unfold. So, and it did, it was like super powerful. And then I had quite a lot of kind of push pull of like, you know, I backed out of a couple of workshops. I very much had to battle with, you know, a lack of confidence to step into the space and not feeling enough. And, but whenever I did step into the space, it was, it was really powerful. So definitely, you know, unseen help. So how long were you in Peru? So I was there for 13 months and then I was um, I was away in total for about 18 months away from Australia. I've spent a bit of time in the US and yeah, and then I went back to Australia and very much knowing that I wanted to start you know, working in this field. And I actually moved to, ended up moving to New Zealand shortly after that and um doing some studies to become a sexologist and a somatic sex educator so that is work that I'm happy to recommend it's um it is powerful work and it's it's safely held uh certainly it is by those teachers in New Zealand 
Um, so that was through the Institute of Somatic Sexology oh. in Britain. What does somatic sexual work look like? So somatic basically means through the body, in the body. So it's basically embodied work. So it's not work that's happening in the mind. It's not to do with concepts. It's very much to do with going within, feeling, whether that's through physical practices. But it's using um, tantric tools, which are breath work is like the very key call, uh, tool of tantra, um, breath work, touch, um sensation awareness um liberation so essentially it's making the conscious the unconscious conscious so we would very much work with those hidden parts because usually it's i work in a desire-based system and if people haven't already realized their desires it's usually because there's something internally getting in the way and usually those things are unconscious so it's about tuning to the body and the body speaks really loudly but we're just not normally listening so it's like you know what in my body is feeling uncomfortable and that could be like a tightness in the chest where you can't feel like you can't breathe properly or just um you know like the stomach being contracted or some like and it's not always loud but it's always there and then it's like listening to that and the unfolding in that listening um is is gold you know in terms of what becomes liberated essentially um by making the the unconscious conscious and then the other side of that is liberating our programming so the programming that we have some from society about what's acceptable so as a woman you know it's not acceptable to be interested in pleasure but you also have to be sexy but you can't be too sexy and you can't be out in the world going I'm really into orgasms or I'm not <laughs> um you know you're either basically not sexy enough or you're too sexy and therefore you're a prostitute so there's, there's almost no proper, you know, no acceptable way on that path. So it's that unprogramming that, unprogramming what we've learned from our family. So that may, might be about religion. It might just be sexual suppression, which is super common in our society, you know, not talking about sex. Um, yeah, I mean, lack of sex education, the, the fact that sex education will often talk about male masturbation, but not talk about female masturbation um i mean the very the very root of the word masturbation basically means self-abuse so it's like um you know even the words that, that are kind of shaming pleasure as opposed to accepting it as our birthright so women in general i think and I, again this is a gross generalization but in various places in our life various roles we have a hard time finding our voice and in fact i i'm doing a workbook self-love for women and it and it was talking about we get so disconnected from ourselves for taking care of others that we don't even know what it is that we want so in this area in the area of sexuality how do women find their voice and stop the programming where we focus more on male pleasure um, and our partners than on on ourselves. And I think some of it, just talking amongst friends, you know, we feel selfish if we expect there to be a focus on our own selves. How do we find our voice and overcome some of that? So I think, you know, first of all, it's, it's essential to have a self-pleasure practice. And I think, you know, we can't expect somebody else to know our bodies or what is pleasurable for, for, for us if we haven't discovered it ourselves. So 
I think there's two things. I think one, knowing our body, actually looking. Um, so getting a mirror, and that can be super emotional, um, you know, because those feelings of shame come up. And But yeah, actually developing a relationship with your vulva and your vagina, seeing what it looks like, seeing what it feels like. And, you know, there's an amazing book called the, it's quite old now, but it's so powerful. It's called the... Um, Women's Anatomy of Arousal by Sherry Winston. And it, it talks about, you know, the anatomy of arousal. So most people don't know, and, and until very recently, this wasn't even a medical textbook. So it's like been super hidden. But the, you know, the clitoris is, a, is basically as big as the penis. It's just most of it is hidden. Um, it has a shaft, it has legs, clitoral legs. Um, so it's a whole structure. So there's lots of parts of the genitals that can be stimulated. And actually, it's the stimulation of the clitoris. So it's like, no, you know, get to know your anatomy of arousal, get to find your G spot. What does that feel like? Get to, you know, look at your cervix. You can get one of those. What are they called? The things that you open you, you up so you can actually Speculum. see. Yeah, that's it. And so you can actually see your cervix. And, you know, the cervix is another very powerful pleasure spot for orgasm um, but there's often trauma and numbness there so it's the same with the g-spot sometimes when people start to explore the g-spot it's like it feels uncomfortable or it feels numb or it feels painful and there's there's layers to to, to work through to actually start to access pleasure in those places so one of the things about the vagina is because it is a receptacle is that it it holds on to energetic imprint of trauma so often women will have pain in their vagina that no doctor will ever find that there's anything wrong. Um, and actually it's um, it's cellular memory often of trauma in the vagina. And that's not necessarily non-consensual sex, but we know how there's a, a lot of non-consensual sex out there. But it can be, you know, sex that's not pleasurable, sex that we're saying yes to when our body's saying no, um, tolerating things that are not pleasurable, so, you know, that gets held within the vagina and can show up basically as numbness, as pain. And so there's a journey to kind of unravel that often for some women before they can start to access deep pleasure. So it's about starting to listen, you know, developing a dialogue with your genitals, actually asking them what they want, what they like, going really slow, no forcing. And I think being willing to touch your body in that slow way without a goal, you know, this has to be pleasurable or I have to have an orgasm. It's like actually do it as an exploration and start to kind of unravel some of the shame that may be associated with that journey. So it's a strong journey, but I think that's a really good place to start. And then, you know, get to know what does my body really like? And then I think with a partner, one of the really powerful things to do is is to agree um, kind of play dates outside of what you would normally do for sex. So sex is not on the agenda, but but re receiving sessions are. So 30 minutes of receiving um, for the woman. And then, you know, it's like asking for what you want and the other partner being a choice. It might be something that they're not willing to do, but having a negotiation about you know, what I want to receive and receiving it and learning to actually fully receive it and learn to tune in. Is that, is that actually what I want? Or does that need to be harder or slower or faster? And expressing it because there's this kind of um, 
shame also about expressing our wants so to kind of give it a container I think is really powerful and then 30 minutes the other way for the other partner to receive and so that way both get to learn you know more about what the other wants without being in that habitual pattern of this is how we have sex and I think particularly for men I don't know if this is true in same-sex relationships I think probably much less so but I think men having sex with women they don't want to be in a position of not knowing and so they don't want to be in a position of trying something new and failing so I think actually you know the more we express what it is we want the more we encourage the more we communicate but women as you said find it difficult to find their voice in sex and it's like if we're not using our voice it's going to be very difficult to get what we want so one of the things to do is actually just get used to opening the throat during sex to making sound because sound actually carries sensation breath does as well but if you add sound in as well it's like turbocharges sensation so it can be a way of bringing you back into your body it can be a way of feeling more so getting used to actually making sound um, is one part of that journey and the, the throat chakra is very linked to the sacral chakra which is you know linked to our sexual energy so it's like when we learn to open our throat we, we are learning to open our sexual energy as well wow so where did you go after that so yes so i did the training in new zealand and i had a, a brief um relationship with a lovely man that didn't last for various reasons so i returned to australia and that was when i started doing you know, somatic coaching around sex, love and empowerment for women. And um, yeah, just starting to see some really deep transformations in women. I was working with men as well. Um, yeah, and I think it's just work that I felt really deeply honoured to do. And I was doing that for a few years. And um, and again, you know, this intuit intuition that I'd been following for, for quite a long time at this point, I could feel this change coming, but I couldn't define what it was, but I was, you know, my mind was trying to work it out. So it was like, I'd, I'd recently ended a relationship, which, which I'd found difficult. And I thought maybe it's about leaving the area because I was living in a small town, which, you know, is difficult when you've got a partner also living in the small town. So I was like, maybe it's about leaving the area, moving back to Sydney. I did a bit of house sitting in Sydney. I was like, no, I'm definitely not meant to be in Sydney. It's not about this. It must be about how I'm, um, you know, working in my business. And I've been predominantly online, you know, running webinars and things like that. And so I started to do some more in-person stuff, which I was really enjoying. And then it just landed what it was. And it was returning to England. And it was literally a bolt out of the blue. You know, I'd never wanted to go back to England from the minute I arrived in Australia. And, and I still didn't, actually. I, but it was such a deep truth to return and the message was really to let everything go you know sell all of your belongings and let go of your business and start again and it was a deep uprooting I didn't leave anything behind um, I, I very much energetically completed and returned to England not knowing what on earth I was going to do to be honest I was like literally googling in job sites you know sex <laughs> which is not a helpful search term <laughs> um yeah and then I ended up working in universities around sexual violence and mental health 
so that's been a very powerful journey because I'm you know, very much interested in systemic change and seeing how much that's needed um, around sexual violence. And ultimately, I'd like to create programs for young women um, that become part of the university curriculum. But for now, um, you know, I'm beginning that journey back into um, private coaching and having my own business. Um, to create those offerings in that way and then ultimately though my my goal is like paradigm shift and creating systemic change through working in big organizations my listeners are in the U.S. I have some in the U.K. but can you work remotely with anyone yeah absolutely so I'm very used to working online most of my one-to-one coaching has been online and that's um yeah that's what I'll be predominantly doing so I've had clients all over the world uh, as well, including the US, as long as we can make the time difference work, which usually we can somehow. <laughs> yes. So how would how would listeners find you if they wanted to work with you? So my website is bridgetferguson.com and uh, you can also get to the same website through yourwildnature.com. Okay, wonderful. And I'll put that in the show notes. Um, Is there a takeaway you'd like listeners to leave this episode with? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's that so many women feel broken around sex and, and don't feel like there's something wrong with them. And actually, we have not been given the avenues to find our power and found out find our power in sex. And I think it's having the courage to start and that can be just as simple as like I'm going to get to know my own genitals I'm going to start a self-pleasure practice I'm going to take up a breathwork practice you know there's so many things that can get us into the body and in touch with what's actually going on and I think you know any woman that's experiencing numbness whether that's in sex or in life in general and likewise pain you know it's like you're not broken that is your body's natural response to not having been, you know, listened to or honoured. And so many of us have been through experiences of sexual violence, whether that's, you know, rape or just not being our our needs and wants not being honoured. And that can be, you know, habitual sex that you're not enjoying um, will, will create that, you know, sense of numbness and pain. So it's like, yeah committing really to honoring your body listening to your body getting to know your genitals and beginning that journey of discovering your own pleasure and just knowing that it's all so possible and available and that you're not broken well you have been a wonderful delight to talk to so informative i'll definitely put all of your um, contact information in the show notes but i appreciate you coming on the show really lovely to meet you bethany thanks for inviting me Thank you for listening this week. I appreciate each of you so much and I would love to connect with you. So number one, we're doing a free giveaway. If you will review this podcast, screenshot your review and post it on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok and tag me in it, you'll be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card. This drawing is good from now until the end of April. So the first week in May, we'll be having the drawing for the $50 Amazon gift card. Again, you can screenshot your review and just post it to social media, tagging me in it. So I can be sure to enter you into the drawing. 
on Instagram. You can find me at the Random Yogi Podcast. On Facebook and TikTok, I'm at the Random Yogi. Also, please connect with me on social media because I do go live at least once a week to try to connect with listeners live. Again, thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please tell one friend about us. Thank you for joining us this week. Please support the Random Yogi Podcast at patreon.com to get bonus content and merchandise. Please join us again next week. And thank you for listening. Thank you.